This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 412. I recommend, and I think a lot of people are just doing this organically, is start a side business while you still have a job, and then you can start learning the differences and testing out different ways of doing things. Are you trying to grow your business and you've recently discovered that you're the bottleneck, the very thing that's preventing that from happening? Well, if you want to leverage your tiny business into big money, then today's episode is for you. This is the Read to Lead podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Brown, and I'm here because I believe that if you want to have true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. I interview a successful and inspiring author each and every week, and we dig into content from their latest book and their unique insights on things like professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship being the thing that gets the focus today, as we are joined by Elaine Hofelt. She is the author of the book, Tiny Business, Big Money, Strategies for Creating a High-Revenue Micro-Business. I'll be asking Elaine to share about steps you can take right now if you haven't yet launched that business you've been wanting to because you're stuck in an employee mindset, her tips on helping to get your product or venture seen, growing a team, whether that's freelancers, actual employees, or a combination of the two, and much more. Since the release of my book back in August called Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career, my dance card is filling up. I've got four speaking gigs in the month of March alone, and I would love to add you to my speaking tour, if you will. You can see some of the topics I love to speak on at my website, readtoleadpodcast.com slash speaking. If you'd like to know more, just reach out to me directly. It's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Dot com. That's Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. And we can determine whether speaking at one of your upcoming events, offering professional development training to your team, or some other option is the right way to go. One more time, that's Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Elaine Pofelt is an independent journalist specializing in entrepreneurship. Author of the Million Dollar One Person Business, her work has appeared on CNBC and in Fortune, Money, Forbes, and quite a few other publications. If that book or her name is familiar to you, it might be because you recall her from my Boss Free Virtual Summit, my online conference from what is nearly three years ago now. Elaine was one of our 34 speakers for that conference. Her new book is called Tiny Business, Big Money, Strategies for Creating a High Revenue Micro Business. Well, Elaine, it's, it's fun to talk to you again. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's great to be here. Well, your first book, I got quite a bit out of and really enjoyed having you as a guest on the Boss Free Virtual Summit. And and this book seems like the next logical progression. Uh, What are some examples of the kinds of businesses that you highlighted in this book? And also some, some examples of the business you chose not to include and why you made those decisions? Well, there are lots of examples. This one has it has almost six <laughs> yeah. case studies. As if you read the first book, you know I love case studies. And <laughs> what I'm looking at are businesses that are one step beyond the million dollar one person business. I found mm-hmm. when I updated the first book, uh, it came out uh, two years after it was published in 2018. That some of those businesses said, "Elaine, we're no longer one person businesses, and you know we hired our first employee." And while they weren't completely different just because they had one person or they, you know, they now they have a recurring team of contractors, things do change a little bit at that stage. 
And what can happen is if you still think like you're just one person and other people are relying on you to tell them what the business needs done or how you want it to be done, you become a bottleneck Mm -hmm. and you start losing a lot of the freedom that you had as the one person business because you're always putting out fires. And so I went back to my mental database of entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. who are in this stage and I talked to them a lot about how they were making this transition and how were they leading their teams. It was very interesting to see. I think they're really on the cutting edge of business and are using methods that maybe you wouldn't learn in business school. One of the entrepreneurs, Brian Dean, founded a company called Backlinko. It's an SEO business. And he um, he's a New Yorker, but he's a digital nomad. And he's living in Portugal currently. He manages the entire team on Slack. Mm. I'm sorry, not on Slack, on Notion, which he says is a, um, it's like Slack and Asana had a baby. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he just did an exit, actually. There, there have been a lot of exits with these really small businesses lately because there's mm. a lot of investors realizing that if they aggregate them they, or integrate them into a bigger company, they can be very successful. And I thought that's very groundbreaking, right? Because we all feel if we had a team, we'd have to have team meetings. But why? He hates meetings. He doesn't want to. He's able to communicate with everybody. He lives the life he wants. He was living in Berlin before. Mm. Um, why? And it it makes you really question some of the assumptions about business that we have, that things must be done a certain way. Yeah, now, some of these companies that you highlight, I think in your words, aren't maybe some of the more sexy ones that we tend to kind of default to. What What might be some examples of some of those that we just don't even think about day to day. They're right in front of us, but we just don't notice them. Well, before I say what they are, I did want to backtrack to the methods that I used to select these categories so people understand it. Good point. Um, readers of my work know I'm a geek about census data. And so <laughs> what I did with my team is we created a giant spreadsheet where we sorted the average revenue minus the average payroll for every industrial code in the United States. Mm. And then we organized them by which ones had the most money left over. After payroll. After payroll, basically, Mm. because for if someone's not a business owner, they might not know that payroll is usually the biggest cost in most businesses. Mm. Sometimes real estate is, but it's it's a substantial cost. And it was really, really interesting, Jeff, to see. My kid said I was chuckling like a mad woman when this chart came out. Um, <laughs> and and I, before I get into this, I also did the 60 interviews for the book of entrepreneurs. And I combined what I have in the charts and those interviews to draw my conclusions about the best categories. Mm. And you will understand why when I tell you that for the businesses up to four employees, the top one was casinos, (laughs) right? So I'm I'm not really going to go out and recommend that the average person go start a casino, um, you know, unless maybe they live in Las Vegas. I think these are little gas station casinos. And the second one Mm was butter creameries. Now, this is maybe a a burgeoning artisanal trend. (laughs) Apparently, they're very automated. Mm. And then there are a lot of other categories that I think are much more accessible. And those are the ones that I focused on. Um, One of them is e-commerce, business to business. E-commerce is a big one. And it it, it kind of overlaps with wholesaling Mm. because you can wholesale without having an e-commerce site. But the 
way that everything has been during the pandemic, a lot of it is going online. One example of a business that would fit into these sort of overlapping categories is one called Flexible Pouches. The founder is Aparva Batra. He's a young guy, about 29 years old. He was a Chevron engineer, and he always wanted to have his own business, and he loves traveling all over the world. So he did a lot of research to find a business that would allow him to have that lifestyle mm. and make a good amount of money. And what Flexible Pouches does is via e-commerce, it sells the plastic bags inside of cereal boxes, right? Online to small cereal makers and also small pharmaceutical companies because the big companies in that space, he started out marketing at trade shows to kind of get the lay of the land. And he realized it would be very hard to be competitive because they need so many millions of bags that as a startup, it would be hard to have the might to really do that. So he focused on the small and mid-sized companies. And then he built a website where a lot of it is automated so they can place their order for the bags and get it through his website. He could be traveling all over the place. And it's about a $3 million business you know, which is just beautiful, like the way he's organized. And he's been in business for a few years now. Mm. Another one is manufacturing. And we don't really think of that as something that, you know, a two-person business could do. Sure, But you can do it now from your living room. You could um, use Alibaba or Makers Mm. Row, or there are a number of other competing sites to find the resources you need and come up with an invention or an idea and outsource it to a factory. And you could either use employees in your team to organize everything or have contractors. One entrepreneur whose story I love, Jeffrey Stern, he's in his 60s and he lives in Connecticut. And what he makes are, for, for those who don't have young kids or grandchildren, there's a birthday party place in a lot of shopping malls called Build-A-Bear Workshop, where the mm-hmm. kids make these little bears. Well, they have a little voice box that says little bear-like slogans, and he <laughs> makes a little voice box. And mm-hmm. he also makes it for those greeting cards that you open up and it plays a song. And it's a $4 million business. He's gone back and forth between having employees and contractors. Right now, I think wow. he has two contractors. So not glamorous, right? Like those little voice boxes, but he got this big client. He's built a beautiful business. He's at an age where there can be a lot of age discrimination. Mm-hmm. And yet, he, you know, he's very vital and full of energy for his career. So now he has this outlet. He's actually started a few years back, but I love that example. There's another category I talk about called souped up service businesses. And what I mean by souped up is they offer the service, but they also offer something else that's the real revenue driver. And one example would be um, Jenna Kutcher is a photographer and she now she has a young family and she didn't want to do as many shoots. So she started doing courses to teach people how to do photography better. Mm. And that's that's a pretty common method. But then she became an Instagram influencer posting the photos, actually photos of her family and writing these little vignettes about different things she was experiencing as a mompreneur. And that business is a multi-million dollar business. She makes wow. a lot of the money from advertising revenue. So you know, she might shoot a wedding here and there. I don't even know if she still does. But that's that's an example of putting a service business mm. on steroids. Uh, yeah. Transportation is another one where um, there are a lot of ancillary things you can do in that industry. It's not driving a bus or something like that. It's like Janine Iannarelli sells used private jets and she's been doing it for years. 
it's a uh, commission-based business. And think about the cost of a jet. So like even a small commission, a small percentage of a jet, right, is a big yeah. commission. Uh, and she had been in aviation in different capacities over the years. And then her career sort of morphed into independent business ownership. Mm. And another one that's booming is construction. Right now, it, um, a lot of people are moving out of cities to the suburbs and they want to mm. build a house. One entrepreneur that I interviewed, Wade Heiner, is involved with a company called Destiny Homes. And what they do is make family style houses, but for very affordable prices. So he's in the Midwest and maybe under 300,000. And they had to work with the local municipalities to allow more houses on one lot to get this through. And he's a salesperson. So he's not the home builder. This is why I like his example, because a lot of times we think, oh, I can't get into construction because I know nothing about building a building. Well, (laughs) neither did he, but he had been around the real estate industry and he knew these two guys who already were builders, but their forte was not sales. So he got in on it as an equity partner. So now the three of them are the entrepreneurs and bingo, you know, he's, they're all seven figure businesses Wow, offer great opportunities right now for, because we have the great resignation, right? People are mm-hmm. looking to start businesses and they may not think of these businesses that are like on the side of some post road, they drive past in some metallic looking building. You have no idea what's <laughs> going on in there. Well, it's somebody, some millionaire next door manufacturing some widget and making a few million dollars a year and living a very creative and fun lifestyle. I love that. And one of the things I, I love about the book is you do cover the gamut uh, as far as the age range from 20-somethings to 70-somethings, folks uh, starting businesses. I'm sending a copy of your book and likely your first book as well to my 16-year-old niece, who okay. is a, a budding entrepreneur herself. My, my sister has done a great job of really instilling an entrepreneurial spirit in both my niece and my nephew, her son and daughter. But that's not the case for a lot of people. What advice would you give the person who is, is, for example, stuck in an employee mindset? How can they think more like an owner going forward? It, it's, a, it's a good question, Jeff. It's a real transition because when you think about it, most of us went to schools where usually when there was talk of careers. It was it was an employee type career, right? And right. our parents mostly had jobs. And so unless you happen to have been born into a small business family or knew some mm-hmm. a small business owner intimately, you, you wouldn't really know the details of running a business and not, might not think of it. So part of it is exposing yourself to more entrepreneurship, You know, going to pitch nights, even virtual ones, and mm. kind of soaking up the way that entrepreneurs think and pattern matching it. Um, I think that's really helpful. It, a, a lot of it is gradual, right? Because you, I mean, you spent your whole life building up to this employee head around work and expecting yourself to go from that to, you know, quitting your job, starting a business. It's not going to work that way. I recommend, and I think a lot of people are just doing this organically is start a side business while you still have a job. And then you can start learning the differences and, and, and testing out different ways of doing things. I'll give you an example, like pitching. A lot of times as an entrepreneur, you've got to pitch people on the fly. You, you know, you're on the 
baseball field and like one of the moms or dads happens to be the person you need to meet for your business and you sort of slip it into the conversation that you're raising funds or you you need a web designer or whatever it is. That's how it goes. You don't have a PowerPoint there. But if you work in corporate, I know when I do corporate projects, you've got to be prepared with a slide deck. You've got to bulletproof it. You've got to go in there with proof, you know, via studies that what you're saying is right. You've got to have consensus on the team which maybe you start building before the meeting even takes place. It's a whole different ballgame. So if you're going, you run into someone and they have the power to help you with something and you and you stop yourself and you're like, wait, I won't even mention it. I got to send her a slide deck. Mm. That's not going to work. But in a side business, you have the opportunity to learn what does work and then build on what works. And you may have to kind of toggle. It's almost like a code switching toggle between mm. the corporate stuff you have to do to pay the bills. And then this whole other way of, of doing things. The other thing is what I found is these entrepreneurs, people think of entrepreneurs as extreme risk takers, mm. but I actually think they're risk averse. They try to reduce risk. They do a lot of testing of their ideas. And this is something you can do to build your confidence as an entrepreneur and build that sixth sense of which ideas will work or not. One entrepreneur in the book, um, she might be inspiring for your niece, is... Mm-hmm. Anna Gavia, she was a medical student. She had 200 bucks and she wanted to make bikinis. Actually, she wanted to design her own fashions. But she didn't have the money to buy the fabric to make a sample for a dress. So she, she started sketching bikinis and she went on Alibaba and she found a small up and coming factory that was willing to make the one prototype on her small budget. And she mm. took a picture of it. She put it up on Instagram and started driving ads to that to see if people would order it. And she took pre-orders and she got a thousand pre-orders. So she knew there was interest in it. Mm. And she went back to the factory. And although it was a small run, they were willing to print up the bikinis for her. And she used that method to keep growing. Each time she had a new idea, she would test it. And if people didn't like it and didn't order it, she wasn't married to the idea. She wouldn't mm-hmm. waste her money and mm-hmm. she'd move on to the next one. And that she self-funded and she was doing everything herself for a while. I, she's in Australia. And I remember like I'd call her at night because we're different time zones and she would be there all the time packing things up. And she finally hired a team and she's expanding into the United States now. And that's a very good rule of thumb. There, there are little ways to test things. So you don't have to go totally out of your corporate comfort zone, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have some assurance that what you're doing is working. And I think if you keep your job for a while, then you have the cash to support the business too. You, you don't have the anxiety of like, oh no, the electricity is going to be turned off because I'm working on this business. Right. Yet if you have that kind of pressure, you can't be creative. And most of us are not at the stage where we can just go like sleep on our parents' couch if the whole adult life thing falls apart. Like you have, you, have, you know, unless you're in your early 20s, you, that kind of runs out and you're on your own. Yeah, it reminds me, I've, I've done a few courses similar to that where I've created a, a sales page, a description of the course online before I've created the course and take orders for the course and make sure I get enough orders to make it worthwhile to create the course in the first place before actually going through the process of, of doing it. I've done that a couple of times. My first venture was in the, the app space, building apps for small businesses and finding uh, sites online, much like there are sites for building websites and helping you do that without having to know code. There are 
platforms online that help you build mobile apps without having to know code. And this was, gosh, 12 years ago, I guess now. And so I started a little side business building apps for small local businesses who had thought up to that point that you know having an app for their store or their business was out of their reach. And I was able to convince them that's not the case and, and did that as a nice little side income. And when I lost my radio job, <laughs> kicked out of the industry almost nine years ago, that's that's what I survived on. I jumped into that uh, you know, full time and did that for a little while until I was sort of able to figure out, well, what, I re- what do I really want to do you know, long term? And now it's the podcast and everything associated with that. And so it's been fun to see that how that journey is just kind of you know, zigged and zagged along the way. And I've adjusted uh, as needed and, and, and continue nine years into it. You know, being my own boss and making my own schedule, and uh, I would never go back. I can't imagine ever going back uh, to work for someone else. Now, that's not to say it's for everybody, right? The, the hardest part for many, uh, I think, though, is maybe they've got a decent product or, or venture started, but they struggle with the marketing aspects of it, uh, with with getting it seen. Uh, you mentioned the photographer running ads to Instagram posts is certainly one way to do that. What did you learn from those you studied about just in general spreading the word? They use a variety of different methods. Content marketing is big for some. Mm. Like what you're doing, a podcast could be a form of content marketing. A lot depends on your natural skills. If you're a good writer, content marketing could be very efficient. And that Mm. could take place in a lot of different places. It could be you run a blog. It could be you guest post. It could be even in the form of email marketing, right? Like if you deliver a great email newsletter, maybe you're not even selling anything in it, but it just keeps your name out there because it's so good. That's something that you could do. I, I think it's really important to tap into whatever skills you have. If you're doing grassroots marketing where you're not paying someone else to do it, because there's a learning curve for all mm. these different different methods. You know, some people are doing paid Google ads and that sort of thing. That's that's for e-commerce, that's very popular, or even internally within Amazon. If you have an Amazon store, there's like mm. you can pay to improve your ranking in there with certain types of ads. It, it really it's very industry specific, but what I would say is it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The, the paid ads is probably the most expensive method. Something like email marketing through your newsletter. Um, one entrepreneur is a speaker, James Taylor. And over time, he did things kind of like your boss free summit. He would do mm-hmm. like the author summit, that type mm-hmm. of thing. And he would build up these mailing lists from the events. And then when he was doing something new, he would send out targeted emails and he segments it so that certain emails. I think he had done a guitar summit and uh, he has a music background. Certain emails wouldn't go to the people that are interested in guitar playing because they're not about that. And he mastered his CRM. He uses one called Entreport, which Mm -hmm. is a little more expensive, but it has more capabilities. And through that, he's really built his speaking business. Um, So that's that's a way of doing things Mm. too. He also shared another interesting tip, you know, in terms of winning new business, which is when he he was kind of behind the scenes in the music industry for many years as like a, a manager and that sort of thing. And then he found he was actually really good as a keynote. And now he speaks constantly for big companies around the world to find gigs. He, first of all, registered with speakers bureaus because he found that they book the higher paying work and he's registered for, I think he said 19 speakers bureaus. So part of marketing might be getting someone else involved in your marketing and they take a commission, Mm -hmm. but they have some skin in the game. If they don't book him and they spend time on it, they don't make any money. Um, So they wouldn't take him on if he wasn't ready for that level of 
speaking. Um, and then he would do some detective work and he would identify other speakers who spoke on his topics, you know, business topics. And then he'd reach out to the places where he saw they spoke and said, I, you know, I speak on this topic too. I could deliver a speech on such and such. Would you be interested? Uh, and he would do it that way. He also uses the CRM to contact people. Like if he reached out to them by email one time and they didn't respond, he'll send a series of five different emails. And sometimes they're not even really about speaking. Like he said, maybe by the fifth one, it would be Scottish country dancing. He, he lives in Scotland, um, <laughs> you know, to kind of, and he said, sometimes it will be that one, the one that's more like small talk that engages mm -hmm. them. Um, so there's a lot, I, I actually have a pretty robust chapter on some of the detailed things that they do mm. because it's different for each business, but when you see all the creative thinking that goes into it, it, I think it will get you inspired as to what you can do with the talents and abilities and skills that you have right now without taking, you know, five more courses or whatever. Anybody can market with the skills that they have now. It's just mm -hmm. figuring out like, okay, I'm an introvert. Maybe it's better for me to market using online marketing because I am not comfortable talking to people on the phone or, you know, I love people. I'm an extrovert. I love going to live events and now the world is opening up. I'm going to go and I'm going to network the hell out of it, you know? And uh, so it, it just depends on, on who you are, but not trying to force fit yourself into something that you're not. Mm, good point. Good point. I started out using uh, MailChimp as my email service provider, mainly because I could have up to 2000 on my list and, 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 you know, not pay anything. It, it was free. I eventually updated or transitioned to, uh, I use ConvertKit now. And a lot of folks are surprised to learn that after doing the Boss Free Virtual Summit, I grew my list through that summit by 85%. So I almost doubled my list through that through that one event. Um, in your book, you talk about another sort of area of weakness for many. You mentioned or hinted a moment ago at this book is about adding people, adding freelancers, adding contractors, adding employees. A lot are new to that. A lot, a lot of folks, you know, experience some growing pains for that or reluctant to do that in the first place. They were a one-person team for so long. What advice would you give for for managing a small team? Well, what I would say is this is something you want to transition into gradually mm. because if you've been doing everything yourself, you're used to doing it yourself without telling anybody else how to do it. Mm. So for a lot of these folks, the first step was to add automation to the business mm. to do certain tasks because that gets you in the habit of not doing that task. You know, for instance, if you had an admin setting up your meetings or you were doing that, you know, just transitioning to Calendly, it's a small thing, mm. but that gets you out of the habit of wasting your time on that or micromanaging how it's done. Then maybe add contractors because it's low risk, right? If you test them out on a small project and they don't work out, you don't have to fire anybody. They didn't relocate to work in your company or whatever, right. and then transition to employees. But once that happens, you really need to think about how best you communicate. What will you really do? For some people, they need a weekly stand-up meeting for seven minutes, you know, or mm -hmm. a weekly Zoom meeting where they all talk about, you know, what what are the deliverables for this week and who's doing what and what are the deadlines and that sort of thing that works well for some people. If you're not really going to be prepared for it, you don't like doing it. You know, you're terrible at meetings. You're not good with people or whatever that isn't good. So maybe then you use a method like managing the whole thing on notion where you're, you're just communicating with people through a platform like that. You can have groups on these, these apps and things that, that mm -hmm. could work for you. There's not really a right or wrong. You'll know it's right. If 
people are happy and things are getting done, your customers are satisfied. And there are a lot of things you can do, like follow-ups, customer service surveys and things to make sure, you know, tracking things like if you're selling a product on time deliveries, if you're doing a service, are people using you again? Are they referring you? And if if things aren't working, then you can kind of go back to like, where is it breaking down mm. at the point of like, is it when you're designing the project? Is it when you're communicating with your team about what needs to be done? Do you have the wrong person doing something, someone who could be redeployed on something else, et cetera? But I think what I took away from this is letting go of the conventions of corporate life that everything has to be like this meeting around a conference room table or Mm. Zoom meeting where there's like a formal agenda. It doesn't have to be that way. I I can see it. These folks are at over a million dollars in revenue with just a tiny team. So they're doing something right. Um, Mm. And you could also go back. One of the entrepreneurs in the book, Dana Derricks, is a copywriter and he also has a goat farm and he really likes his lifestyle. <laughs> and he found that he he hired employees and then he didn't like it. He didn't like all the compliance. He didn't like being a boss. He liked the relationship he had when it was more equals, like contractor, mm. you know, because a contractor is more like a consultant. They're not under you. And, mm. and so he went back to having contractors. And I think that's important too, to think about what you like. You don't have to follow any rules with this. It's it's what makes you happy. If you're stressed by your business and you know what's stressing you out, you have the power to change it. And that's letting go of the employee mindset and the passivity that you're sometimes forced into and saying, okay, like I'm creative. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to figure out how to do this in a way that works. Mm-hmm. These folks have, have really dialed in uh, their systems, which is another great chapter from Elaine's book. I think you'll get a lot out of. Uh, another question I want to ask you about, Elaine, is what about ongoing learning and education? How can we best master the skills needed to keep growing as entrepreneurs or ultimately getting through any potential revenue barriers that we might come up against? Well, community is the answer for a lot of that mm-hmm. because there isn't a textbook on a lot of these types of businesses and you know, manufacturing for the two-person business or something like that. <laughs> how do you find out how to do it? A lot of it is talking to other entrepreneurs. So it's figuring out, first of all, what is your favorite way of talking? It, I, I know um, I'm in touch with some younger entrepreneurs who they have these WhatsApp conversations. They're like in these groups on there with a lot of people. And it's like constantly going on. They share information that way. Other people will go to live or Zoom events like um, startup nights or other types of things like that, pitch Mm. nights, and they just chat with people. Some some people, if the business scales up a little bit, they might join a group like Entrepreneurs Organization that has a forum. doesn't really matter what it is, but you do want to make sure you're connecting with people who are a little ahead of you. Mm. That's why I always focus on the million-dollar one-person business or the seven-figure tiny business, because that's ahead of where most people will be. Only a small percentage of businesses are above $1 million in revenue. I think mm. it's like 6%, if I'm not mistaken. So you, you need to, if you want to get to 1 million, then you need to talk to people that already did that, but maybe not the people at 100 million, unless that's what your ultimate goal is, because <laughs> they have resources, you know, maybe they have a lot of bank credit and things that you need as you, you know, if you're going to scale to 50 employees, making payroll is a big deal. You you need a line of credit in case mm-hmm. something goes wrong. And that's a whole different level 
that I'm talking about in this book, which goes up to 20 employees, but mostly is up to five. But, it, but the key is the other entrepreneurs. Also, you, you know, your talents are in audio. I think audio is the key for a lot of entrepreneurs. Audible books and audio books are critical because a lot of times we don't have time to sit down and read, mm-hmm. but, but you, there's a lot of knowledge that comes from reading, you know, obviously you read to lead, right? <laughs> um, and and podcasts, I learn a yeah. lot from podcasts. There's a lot of practical skills you can pick up from YouTube mm-hmm. um, and podcasts that, that you can pick up from the webinars and from, from listening to the podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you can also get inspiration and hear people that you really love and follow. Sometimes I'll get hooked on a certain author and then I look for every single podcast that that person has done <laughs> or yeah. every YouTube. I mean, I, I, I do like a mix of both because I think sometimes there are visuals on the YouTube that mm-hmm. you know they, they do presentations and things that maybe you would miss in the audio only. Um, mm. But people are getting much more sophisticated with these things too. And they have ways of sharing things that are really helpful. Yeah, I'm finding that it's it's funny. Uh, I just learned back in August of 2021 at the uh, annual podcast movement conference that YouTube was gaining a lot of ground for how people consume podcasts. And it was at first, it was something I was like, is that really true? And then I thought about my own habits. When I had a commute, I listened to podcasts in my car and via my phone. But at home, almost every podcast I consume, I consume via YouTube from the app on my 65 inch television. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm, I'm watching podcasts, not listening to them as much as I used to. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I listen to, if they do have a YouTube version of a podcast, mm-hmm. I always, even if I'm in my car, if I'm sitting at a stoplight, I like to kind of glance at, mm-hmm. at, the, at the screen a little bit and, mm-hmm. you know, not when I'm driving, obviously, but I get a little more out of it sometimes f- through the nonverbal yeah. communication that goes on. But I figure, you know, whatever way you get the information into your mind and into your life, then then you start to synthesize it and mm. you draw your own conclusion. Sometimes I'll listen to 20 podcasts on a topic and I'll realize something important like, a lot of times people will only make big changes in their business if they step away and give themselves a little space to like take a day off because that does, that's an occupational hazard as you and I both know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you can always, if you like your work, which I do, like I, I will easily work seven days a week. You know, mm-hmm. I might not work the whole day on the weekends because I, I have kids, but I get up early. I like to write things, mm-hmm. but you can't get any distance doing that. And that was right. something I picked up on recently. And I'm, I just did an interview with an entrepreneur. He has a very small business, but he decided he was very visionary, but disorganized. And he felt it was doing a disservice to the business. So he hired a president to come in mm-hmm. to run the business so he can do more of the visionary things. And he's really good with sales and do that and step out of the way of the other stuff because he also has young children and he wanted more time. But the way he came to that was he took one night off and he stayed in a local hotel. He had dinner with his wife and then he he uh, had the night alone and slept in, which he didn't get to do very much with a one-year-old in the house. And, and then he went on a long hike the next day. And it was during this hike that he had the epiphany. But I saw that that fit into a larger pattern from listening to a lot of things with entrepreneurs who said the same thing where they had a major epiphany. It wasn't like they went away for two weeks. It was like they went away for one day and <laughs> were by themselves and had yeah. that 
the space. So those are the kind of things you'll pick up on. And then you realize, oh, like the reason for the roadblock isn't what I thought. It's not because I don't have the right CRM. It's because I'm gumming up the works because I keep forgetting all the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not that organized. And someone else is an operations person should be doing that. I think they're very valuable. We're about out of time. Uh, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, add anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure people know from the book. Anything along those lines? Um, Sure. Well, I think of a business as a practice, Mm. similar to like a yoga practice or a martial arts practice. We're just tapping into the idea you just mentioned about ongoing learning. Mm. And I think it's really important to look at it that way. The most important thing you can do in any business is keep on showing up. If you, It's similar mm. to like if you want to take up yoga and you only go once a month, you'll never achieve greater flexibility because you really need to do it consistently, maybe mm. three times a week. I don't know what the rule is, but there's a certain <laughs> consistency you'll find where you're having growth. Same thing with the business. You Maybe you only work four days a week. It doesn't matter. But if you only work one day a month, you'll never achieve the knowledge that helps you to grow. So if you've picked a business where you don't want to work on it that often, or you just can't find the space in your life to do it, it's important to ask the question why and look for a business where you actually look forward to it and you're passionate and you do want to show up for it. Because when you do show up, that's what I saw with these folks. It's amazing what clicks. And that's where you pick up the abilities and knowledge to really bring it to the size that you want. And I'm not, as you know, Jeff, I'm not a huge advocate that you have to dominate the whole world. Like your Mm. business could be a $100,000 business that supports your family living where you want to live. It's up to you, right? but you have to show up to make it happen. The book again is called Tiny Business, Big Money Strategies for Creating a High Revenue Micro Business. I highly recommend you pick it up. It is officially out now. And her name is Elaine Hofeld. Elaine, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate having you. Thank you, Jeff. Always a pleasure. If you haven't already, I would not only pick up this book from Elaine, Tiny Business, Big Money, but also her first book we briefly mentioned, The Million Dollar One Person Business. In fact, I'd read that one first and then read this one. Both are fantastic. You'll find links to both of them, as well as any other resources and links mentioned during this episode on my website. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 412 for episode 412. If you're not already, make sure you follow and or subscribe to the Read to Lead podcast in your app of choice. So each time a new episode is published, you'll get a notification about it, letting you know that it's there. You'll find that the show is published on just about any platform you could think of. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Stitcher, and many, many more. If I can be of help to your team with in-person or virtual training, or you're looking for a speaker for your next event, I hope you'll reach out to me at jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. That's all for this week. See you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.